0: Hi, this is Melissa, and it is the 19th of February, 2023, and this Redux is an interview that Alan Watt did on the Power Hour with J.D. Moore and Joyce Riley, and it's a very good, succinct overview on the history and the techniques of social engineering, and as J.D. told the listeners, folks, you're getting some incredible, incredible information here on social engineering. So, enjoy this. At the very end of the interview, Weston and I had a few things that we wanted to bring to your attention. So, stick around at the end of that talk, and we'll put that on the back end. Thank you.
1: Welcome back to the Power Hour Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, it is eight minutes past the hour, moving to the second hour of the broadcast today. And I personally am just very, very excited to be getting an opportunity to speak with Alan Watt again. He's agreed to come back on the show. Last time he was on the show... Uh, we had such a positive response, so many questions, uh, just his ability to convey information about such a wide variety of topics is just the second to none. He's been an integral part in my awakening process, and I'm really happy uh, to be able to share some of his information with you folks today. Uh, and just to give you some background on Alan, he has been a researcher of the causative forces behind all of the major changes in historical development for a number of years. He's sort of a renaissance man. He was a musician. He's been an author. He does... Uh, speeches on radio and does video just all the time. He's got a fantastic website called Cutting Through the Matrix, uh, and I recommend everybody go there. Um, but again, you're going to hear some information today that you're not going to hear anyplace else, and this is what uh, the Power Hour is all about. So, Mr. Watts, thank you so much for agreeing to come back on to the Power Hour again today.
2: It's a pleasure to be back on, yeah.
1: Well, it's going to be a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, Before we get too in-depth, I I, want to preface everything by saying we're going to talk about social engineering today. We're going to talk about mind control, some of the techniques and agendas and technologies that are used to manipulate people, manipulate the masses, and talk about that from a historical perspective, and try and do some projection onto the future to see where we're all going. But before we get into that, Alan, could you give us just a little bit more of your background, talk to the people about who you are, just for new listeners, people who may not be familiar with you?
2: Yes, I've been studying this since I was a child, really. Uh, I had to know why things were changing uh, so rapidly in uh, britain especially where i was born and uh, we have fantastic libraries there uh, and i i managed even to get into the, the adult library when i was very young so i uh, I, I got access to uh, lots of reference books going back hundreds of years some of them uh, to, to see the cost of forces even back in history and i realized even at school that the, the, the current histories we 're having of the past were fake or false they 'd been changed when the original books that were written at the time had vastly different informations up, up in them, and so on, so I, I caught on rather quickly that society always has for each generation its new reality, you might say uh, given to them, beginning especially with school. And that carries on to the parents who then teach that new reality on the child. So it's an ongoing system that's been well understood for many centuries, in fact, of how reality is given. Uh, I realized, too, uh, that countries like Britain, now it's the U.S., of course, used to be the battering ram uh, for what was called from the days of uh, John Dee, for instance, uh, a British or British uh, world empire. Uh, that was eventually turned over to the U.S. when Britain had fought enough of it, taken over a good part of the world, but was technically broke through taxation. And they passed that on to the U.S. to take over uh, around World War One. And Rudyard Kipling, for instance, and others wrote about that. They belonged to the societies which were the driving forces behind that. Uh, the Fabian Society, which is a branch of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, and uh, and also the Alfred Milner Group, Cecil Rhodes Foundation And the Council on Foreign Relations These are all one group today that really make the policies for the world To bring in a world order, a, a literally a standardized world order uh, With a universal culture uh, All uh, diverse cultures eventually have to be eliminated and changed into this universal uh, culture, but not just for for peace on the planet, it's to create a more pliable population worldwide uh, for an elite to rule over and direct much more easily than they have in the past, to do with, with even the possibility of any future rebellions. In fact, many of the big players who gave us our present culture that we're of today and. Uh, of the recent past and, and the culture is still to come, the changes still to come. Guys who are dead, like Lord Bertrand Russell, for instance, wrote copiously about this because he was a big uh, player among, uh, along with uh, many behaviorists like, uh, like Skinner. You've heard of uh, Skinner, the behaviorist, and, uh, and his brother Julian Huxley, the head of UNESCO. U- the United Nations was to be a big, big part of it and eventually they were to start creating policies that would bypass governmental uh, discussion. That was done long ago. Government today is simply a technocratic government that does what it's told, and it's a big machine, you might say, with its policies already set in place, and and, and the politicians are there to keep us under the illusion that we still have some say in something, but in reality we've had no say in anything since at least World War II. Uh, so, a uniform culture uh, 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 a dumb down culture, by the way, uh, population reduction, which would done insidiously, uh, not through uh, after all, if they wanted the, uh, population reduction they don 't ask for volunteers who 's going to volunteer uh, and so they simply had their, their meetings at the end of World War II in London. In fact, the king uh, had uh, had a world meeting about it, and they decided that they would go the way of inoculations. Uh, the alteration of the food, uh, etc., that would shorten people's lives, make them sicker, and they'd die off quicker. But they also wanted to dumb down the population. They talked about the scientific techniques of mind control in a very big way. They understood it very, very well back then, by the way, and uh, and how they could give us realities. Uh, they also wanted to break the old system of traditional families. All, in fact, what was amazing about it all, really, to me, uh, long, long ago, was how the elite who run uh, a good part of the world back then um, used the Communist Manifesto uh, to, to help bring in these changes. They wanted to break traditional families and the traditional culture passed from family through generations uh, to make everyone uh, uh, basically susceptible to government authorities opposed to familial and, and, and neighborhood, uh, almost tribal authority, because their biggest problem used to be the family unit. Families had so much in common with other families in their areas, especially in the States. Uh, eventually, uh, previous to that, it was Britain, and people would stand up together when, when their values were challenged by the authorities the occasional rebellion would, would break out. So they had to stop that. H.G. Uh, Wells talked about it. He belonged to the Fabian Society, how they would do it. And also you had uh, George Orwell, uh, who uh, understood this perfectly well, because he also attended the world meetings they had at the time. He was part of it initially, and he knew what they were going to do to destroy the family culture. And so in this book, 1984, uh, in that particular book, he showed you a world where there was really no family. Uh, everyone uh, was was observed night and day by Big Brother through cameras, etc., and listened to with secret microphones. And and the government could could then talk right down to you. And when they came after you, there was no one there's no family or anybody to stand up beside you in your defence. You're on your own, and that in itself is a tremendous psychological weapon because when you're on your own. You're helpless, you're terrified, and so on. That's what they wanted to do. They're bringing it in today, not through threatening you, but by making it very appealing to give up all freedoms and rights, by giving you all the freebie entertainment and so on, through cell phones and and electronic media, uh, which so, so you become compliant. You give up voluntarily without even knowing you're doing it, or caring, actually. And that's that's the way that they've gone. So we're, we're pretty well where they want us to be for this particular stage before they bring in the transhumanist agenda completely. Uh, right now, they've muddied up what man and woman was and marriage marriage was. Uh, now we, we're told to accept all the political correct updates to our programming. Uh, and so we have all kinds of agendas in between, supposedly. And once you start to believe that, uh, then they can bring forth the, the actual new creations of different kinds of, of humans to serve the elite in the future better as we all die off, basically. It's a, it's a well-run agenda, and they have constant uh, meetings all, all, all year round, world meetings with top scientists about this. So it's ongoing. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, you know, I'm really glad that you brought up the the breakup of the family unit. I mean, we talked about the the creation of a uniform culture, the dumbing down of people, the population reductions. These are all aspects of social engineering. I'm curious about when the first instance of social engineering really was, who, who kind of got this ball rolling, so to speak. And I, the reason I'm glad you brought up the breakup of the family unit is because we had a guest on Leslie Abbey yesterday who had a video called Buffalo Nation, which was looking at the Lakota Sioux, and this was a fantastic uh, kind of a spotlight put on a small sect of our population here in the country uh, where a clear agenda was driven in the late 1800s where they separated the native americans from their families and they actually said you know it was to completely dissolve their tradition to make them not able to be a family anymore and i think that that's a really salient point and i'm glad you brought that up because we see evidence of it all around us but if we could get back on the subject of uh, the, kind of the birth of this social engineering uh, and, and just maybe give a broader definition of social engineering For anybody who may not understand uh, how that it, uh, What it looks like as an agenda, if you could, sir
2: Well, social engineering begins with, with uh, uh, this. First of all, even ancient times, by the way uh, This was done occasionally by different people in Persia uh, Countries they conquered uh, Where you'd separate the child from the parent, basically and you'd turn, you'd indoctrinate them uh, with a new philosophy. Uh, and, and, and so the children would turn against their parents. They even have bits of that in the Bible, of course, because it had been done before. And it's not a new thing at all. We saw the same thing in the communist uh, revolution, where uh, children were taught a whole new philosophy of life. And they were taught to actually hate their parents as being obsolete and actually nasty to the progress of, of society as a whole.
1: I apologize. I have to interrupt. We've got to take a four-minute break. Uh, We're going to come back. I'm going to ask Alan about psychiatry and the new normal. We're going to talk more about mind control techniques and technologies being used for that going forward in the future. Keep it right here with Alan Rott. My name is J.D. Moore. I'm with Joyce Riley. This is the Power Hour radio show. We'll be back in four minutes with Mr. Alan Watt. Keep it here. Welcome back to the Power Hour Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, it is 24 minutes past the hour. We are picking up our discussion with Mr. Alan Watt. The website of interest for you today is cuttingthroughthematrix.com. There is so much information on there. I totally recommend everyone going and checking out the uh, deprogramming videos because uh, as I said, Alan has been an integral part in my awakening process and we're discussing today social engineering before the break we had, talked, we had started to t- talk about uh, the history of the agenda and if, uh, if Alan, if you want to just pick it up right there we'll go through the history and then I want to start talking about some of the uh, technology that is available today that uh, they're using against us.
2: Yes uh, you'll you find that they really went into big time uh, in the 60s, that's when they really launched the, the full-scale attack, you might say, to separate the generation from a, another generation. Uh, the, the new youth generation, their generation, the, the song came out, in fact, talking about my generation, to make you think uh, that uh, we were a different species almost and that everything else was obsolete. And they were very successful in that. Big money went into promoting Bob Dylan, of course, who actually was guided by the Communist Party at the time. And uh, they'd already tried to get uh, a lot of blacks in the U.S. to have a revolution. They were funding them through the Communist Party. Uh, the, The White House is well aware of it, too. And it failed. They couldn't, they couldn't get it going. So they, they decided to change it to, to the sexual revolution. And use Bob Dylan, especially in, in uh, the U.S., to get that going. Lay, lady, lay across my big brass bed, etc. In the U.K., at the same time, with the same kind of uh, deep southern accent from people who didn't even live there, you had, you had Mick Jagger was brought out to do his uh, little Red Rooster stuff and all that uh, and the sexual generation was to take off along with drugs at the same time. The Grateful Dead were put out into the U.S. with uh, Brandt and other, other people behind them to create this new culture and dish out free LSD at the time all over the place. And that was to be the call for, for the break between uh, one generation to the next and, to, and then they'd reprogram this generation with a brand new culture, which they actually did, in fact, uh, where anything goes. So it was awfully successful right to the present day. That killed a few birds with one stone because out of that came uh, uh, massive unwanted pregnancies, uh, which led to the demand for abortion clinics, which they wanted to depopulate. The idea, too, was to separate the sexual act from the bonding act that goes with it naturally, uh, and they were awfully successful in that, too. They, they wrote about that from the Frankfurt School, a big, big player in all of this, and the Primary School was working directly with, under the authority of the White House to bring in this new culture, by the way, for those who don't know that. So massive things were happening, and they were getting people ready for uh, a, a different kind of life. Post-prosperity, uh, uh, austerity you might call it today, uh, was started back then as they tried to dematerialize the people, to live simply and cheaply, and be a, a better workforce, working for less money and so on. Uh, that's what you have going on the go today under the guise of post-consumerism and austerity. That's also, by the way, why they, they hit at this particular time when, uh, the economy is plummeting. Uh, they brought in Obamacare. Most folk, as we know, live to, the, to, the inc- to their income level. They spend what they, what they get. And that kept the US going for a long time. But now with $600 to $800 a month Obamacare for a single person, their spending money is gone. And shops and everybody's suffering for that too. But but the indoctrination doesn't stop there. You can go back to the days of uh, Marshall McLuhan, for instance. He was Canadian. And he talked about this coming era. He foresaw it in many ways. He saw that eventually most folk could be weaned away from talking to each other directly and influenced and talk and, and talked to people on the ether, as he called it, the ethernet, long before you had the internet. Uh, but he also had uh, 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 people he knew uh, working in the military-industrial complex, and they already had the internet, as we well know, long, long ago. Uh, eventually they'd give this to the public they'd give them a new reality where they could then wean people away from direct contact with each other live in their boxes, in their head in a, in a sense and they communicate to uh, all their sock puppet friends and so on and so on that's happened, people can hardly look in, your, in the eyes today. they don't want to talk to you directly they'd rather text you from a distance uh, so that's been awfully successful it's total war to create a new kind of human, which is pretty well almost here in in reality. People are not smarter at all, more more intelligent, they're dumber, Um, and they they, they also are losing the ability to, to reason things through. The reasoning is done for them by the state. Now, going back to Bertrand Russell, he said that, and so did Lord Galton Darwin, Charles Coulton.
1: Alan, I've got to interrupt you again for one more break. I apologize. You're hearing, ladies and gentlemen, some of the most profound information ever from Alan Watt. We'll be back in three minutes. We're going to pick up our conversation here with Alan Watt, and we're talking mind control today. You're hearing all kinds of information that you're not going to hear anyplace else. And, Alan, I mentioned to you earlier that we had such a positive response from you last time uh, you were on, and already today the emails are rolling in. So I've got a couple questions that I'm going to just shotgun at you here real quick, and we'll try and get through a few of these just because people are so curious. My first question, though, is... Out of your entire body of work, from books to uh, you know, DVDs and interviews that you 've done, what do you believe where would be a good starting point for people to learn more about what 's going on around them? What do you recommend as a first step for people to want to become deprogrammed and uh, where can people find that information
2: The best place actually is to study the, the books on behaviorism by Skinner and others of his ilk because they were not just talking about uh, human behavior, they were they're, they're being funded to find out how to understand human behavior uh, and how to alter that and shape it and direct it and use it uh, on a mass scale uh, for the elite's purposes. And so their own books, in fact, condemn them. Um, very few folk read these particular They're easy to read, actually and uh, Skinner especially was, was very straightforward so was Bertrand Russell if you look at the scientific outlook and the impact of science on society they spoke on behalf of the world groups that they were already working with to shape the cultures which we now have today and they were doing this way back from the 1930s right through the 60s, 70s and so on to the present time Uh, the changes were still going through some of these men at the top were were completely responsible for for laying down the program for it step by step, generation by generation uh, and and we're still living through it today remembering culture, to change culture uh, and Plato talks about this that, that, that in culture You have drama. Drama has a tremendous impact on the youth. Today it's movies. Music too, Plato said, should even be licensed because it could stir the youth to rebellion and turn against their parents, for instance, or the establishment if it was used by those who knew how to use it. He knew this because he studied under Socrates who was actually condemned to death for trying to, to disrupt and deviate the youth to turn against their parents. That was the real reason Socrates was put to death. So um, they understood, even in ancient times, uh, that music was uh, was highly effective uh, as, as a tool to stir people's emotions, young people especially, into rebellion and shaped and directed to rebellion at that. So it's never changed. These techniques are always the same. The churches knew how to use this as well To get the opposite effect Because they built them in such a beautiful way In an architecture and experimentation To get the perfect pitch and tones For certain songs and hymns that they sung Which could put you into a meditative state In a very placid state And once you've been put into a placid state uh, You're under almost a hypnotic state It's very close to, to, to sleep and awake and, and you can then be programmed by the particular sermon that's put across to you. Uh, today they use a much more Hollywood technique in the big churches um, where they use the high frequencies which affect the youth especially, very high frequencies, and the very low frequencies. That's why you get them both in popular music. Uh, and, and and churches too today, they use all the lighting equipment which is very similar to the strobe equipment uh, that again Brandt and the guys who worked with Grateful Dead who worked with the Air Force by the way to bring in the strobe lights along with drugs for those who don't know this uh, they were given Air Force hangers to, to test out strobe lights with the use of drugs bring young in young people and have them dance and so on and, and study their effects upon them this is all done by, from the top down not from the bottom and then convince the youth of course always that the ideas are coming out of their own generation, they have no idea it's all done by much older people upon them and, and, and put out there for them to grab. But um, so churches are, are a big part of it too. If you watch televangelists, especially, I
1: have to I have to interject here because I was a music major in school, and I'm, I'm I'm struck by the fact that you just mentioned the music in church because I can only imagine what it would have been like to be in a you know a gothic uh, cathedral back in the day, and the first time you hear something like Palestrina, you know, where they have separate choir multiple voices, it would have just been... I mean, overwhelming would be an understatement to say, yeah. I mean, to say, if, and if people haven't heard Palestrina, just do a search for him, start page, and listen to some of the music and understand that this was, you know, happening at a time when we were going from Gregorian chant, uh, very mono, you know, tonal to this multiple tone, just high frequencies and low frequencies and just majestic music and languages that, you know, the natives really didn't speak, uh, would have just been overwhelming. Uh, and I just wanted to point that out, that I, I fully understand what you're saying, and Yes, it was
2: literally created in their minds uh, and and their whole being for that time uh, that you were as close to heaven as you could be. That was the idea. This is what heaven heaven was like. It was beautiful, you see. And this is perfectly well understood. Knowledge of human behavior has been going on for thousands of years. It's never lost. It's the most valuable, valuable information there is. And governments down through the centuries have always acquired this and made sure they had copies of different studies across the world right up to the present time. And today it's pretty well perfected. They know exactly how we tick, how we think, how to er- we arrive at conclusions. And in fact, most of us don't come up to our own conclusions. Uh, we're guided to our conclusions with scientific technique today, yeah.
1: Well, and I want to talk a little bit about you know, this dialoguing to consensus that we see through the media. It seems like every, you know, you can turn on the supposed two-party system TV channels and, you know, they're all dialoguing to the same consensus just from different points. You're really limited on, uh, you know, what, what the alternative choices might be because you're never presented with any of that. So how does media and the new media play a role in keeping us in this state of stasis, so to speak?
2: Again, it's perfected, uh, back in the, in the 60s or 50s, actually, uh, Bertrand Russell, again, the, one of the biggest players in all of this, uh, and funded by the British government and the US government and working with the United Nations to bring in the culture, uh, he said that, um, it was very easy to give people their opinions by science. He called it scientific technique. And, uh, we work very much like computers in a sense. And a good computer programmer should know the answer fed into a computer uh, before it works out on the computer. A computer has a logic. We have a logic. And uh, it has a program, the, the reasoning program. It will follow the logic. And so you're given a particular question or, 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 or subject or answer or question. And you, will, you, will, you can be guided uh, by knowing your logic Uh, and your reasoning uh, and you'll be guided to the answer and that's what neuroscience today is all about. Neuroscience uh, has psychology, behaviorism and all of these things and even how the electronic synapses in different parts of the brain work to bring you to the conclusion they desire. It's a perfected science already. It's very simple, really. Yeah.
1: So we could say then that they're using things like social media. Say, you know, there was this article about uh, Facebook doing a huge uh, experiment, essentially by controlling what people see on their news feed, which is a feature of Facebook for those who don't know. And uh, I, I find it really interesting the sense people are turning away from television because we're, you know, we're kind of awakening to the idea that nothing that comes over the TV be a product, a person, or a perspective, all of those things are for sale. You know, those are those are somebody's agendized ideas. But Facebook kind of had this uh, innocence about it. But now that we know that they can control what you're seeing, are they using that control then to direct you into certain trains of thought in order oh, to absolutely. cultivate a certain type of person?
2: Uh, absolutely. Uh, and meme, memes and trends and so on are, are put out there. And they study in real time how many people are falling for it and going along with it, etc. And they can instantly adjust on the spot as they're going along how to bring more people in, and why, they, why they're resisting, and, and bend them to the same thoughts and conclusions and so on as well. Remember that um, here's another thing most folk don't understand or are, are know about. Uh, the great people in history, uh, even from the days of Einstein, are put up there as frontmen. And, uh, and so are the so-called great youth uh, inventors uh, that come up with Facebook and so on. They're really front men for a system that gives you the appearance uh, in society of competition and in, in a reality where things just happen by individual spectacular people. Nothing is further from the truth. Uh, we, we know what uh, the inventor of these things, including Facebook, have said about the public. He called them stupid effers, didn't he? He did, didn't he? Uh, And and, uh, we know, too, that Google uh, and all the big search engines that uh, were were set up at the start to take over uh, belong to the NSA and and MI6 and and so on. Uh, That's who set them up and and runs them today uh, with instant retrieval of information of everybody, of course. So, you're given the appearance of competition initially in many areas, including international corporations. Most international corporations, the big ones, are owned by a handful of the same shareholders at the top. They're the controlling interests. But for, for people you follow, you, you're given heroes to follow all the time, especially the youth. And it goes, it goes with these ones who are pulled up into histories to be geniuses. And, and, and that makes it more exciting. A genius. Oh, this guy is so intelligent. I mean, he must be correct in everything he says. And I say, and Einstein himself started off in a patent office, and his parents were pretty wealthy they couldn 't get my job anywhere else. He was classed as an idiot at school, by the way. And uh, then he comes out with these theories. He never spoke about them in public. He couldn't without notes in front of him. But what he did talk about was politics all the time and the need for a world government and Zionism, etc. That was his real role. Uh, so they, they give you, uh, you give, they give you the stars even in that area. And if you're into the guys who created. Uh, uh, the pop industry stars the, the Hollywood stars for actresses and so on because we follow the stars the wandering stars we follow them old saying they give us the stars to follow and because they're, they're up there successful and wealthy whatever they say even a social uh, area must be true that's what we, how, we, how simple we are that's how we think and they give you the stars to follow. But Brandt and all these guys did that for them.
1: This begs the question because you, sir, are a star at this point and I certainly would qualify you as a genius. And I'm going to ask this question just because I'm going to play devil's advocate and because I got an email from CJ who wants to know if you are or if you have ever been a member of any of the alphabet agencies.
2: Uh, no, no.
1: Okay. I didn't think
2: asked. I have been asked to join some of them. Really? Yes, and, and in fact, I, uh, I was asked to join a, a, the World Citizenship Society run by Rockefeller, and that was only a couple of years ago. I was asked to attend the Rockefeller uh, uh, one at Laurentian University. Very nice letter, by the way. And uh, that, that I knew that was my way in, and if I'd gone in there, I'd have books, ghost written for me. I wouldn't have to do any work at all. Things would come my way, and I politely refused and I said I did not believe in and what the, their agendas were, and and how they could manipulate societies, etc. But that was a that was part of the roundtable society, of the Council on Foreign Relations and Royal Institute of International Affairs. That's what that is, the World Citizenship Society. Okay.
1: Yeah. I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, electronic harassment. Uh, I've heard rumors of people who say that they are electronically targeted. You know, people having. Uh, sleep disruption, uh, noises in their head, things like that. I want to know it, what you know about uh, electronic harassment in terms of technology, and I would like to know if we are at a point now where that uh, technology is is cost-effective enough that they could target an individual, or are we still at a point where they are targeting you know, broad segments of society?
2: It can certainly be targeted towards an individual much more easily now with smart meters, etc., because a smart meter does more than just uh, monitor your, your home appliances, it's monitoring you as well, and it picks up frequencies uh, from all your appliances. But your brain also gives off frequencies, and it can actually give a it can actually diagnose your uh, your frequencies off your brain and, and like a unique fingerprint for you, and that goes into a grid, and that grid that grid is tapped into all agencies as well. By the way, for those who don't know it. It's not just a private company that owns it. It all goes to the NSA and all the rest of these big boys. So it's quite simple to target a person in their home especially. And we've had exposés on people having to move out of apartment buildings in Toronto, for instance, uh, because uh, of uh, of the smart meters and uh, uh, the fact that you're living inside Uh, an electromagnetic grid with the wiring up your walls and all the rest of it, it's quite very simple to do by the way a patent came out quite a a few years ago in Finland uh, where uh, cell phone towers can be used to target a person and it's so unique, once it has your fingerprint it can pick you up and and target just you in a crowd uh, within line of sight, you can be miles away and it can actually target you. Hey,
1: Alan, I've got to, I've got to take another three-minute break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion about mind control, electronic targeting, and harassment. Keep it right here. Alan Watt, three minutes on it. The- Welcome back to the Power Hour. Thank you so much for joining us, caring about your world today. Alan Watt is our guest. Uh, full information, full board of information here, and I do thank you all for joining us today. I'm sure you, glad- I'm sure you are glad that you tuned in also Uh, Alan, I'd like to ask you about voice-to-skull technology. I've seen the black box that is used for that, and I have seen the evidence that
2: it is possible to do it. How prevalent is voice-to-skull,
3: and how might we be getting that without our knowledge?
2: It's a very old technology. In fact, it was Alexander Graham Bell who worked on it. In fact, sort of his father before him, uh, as they were working with deaf children, and that's where the idea for voice-to-skull came in initially, uh, with an external sound that would vibrate uh, basically the bones and even the small bones in the ear uh, to get the, the voice through. is far more advanced today, naturally, and we had out in the open and mainstream a few years back there not long ago in New York City. Uh, some advertisers were putting them up on uh, some of the, the blocks there, uh, some of the towers and, and targeting people in the streets. They, they warned them in advance, you may hear a voice in your head directing you to go into this store, buy this, buy that, and so on. And that was a trial balloon to see if there'd been an outcry from a public. And by now, we're so dumbed down, a lot of folk simply accepted it. So it's very old technology. However, the CIA were using this technology back in the 50s, and uh, Dr. Bigge, in fact... I don't know how he... I, I, I'm not quite sure about him yet, but uh, uh, he came out on the Wendy Mesley show in Canada uh, years ago uh, with tablefuls of these little handheld devices the size of a, a TV remote converter, uh, or a packet of cigarettes, in fact. And he told Wendy to to stand in the middle of a room with her back turned. Uh, on This is live CBC Television Canada, the main st- uh, government station. And he pointed at her and he says, what do you hear? She had music in the middle of her head. This is a more advanced technology. And he said, "Just, I could just as easily I put thoughts in your head. Now, putting thoughts or thought, in, thought insertion would have you committed as a schizophrenic in society. And God knows how many people have actually had that done to them and ended up in, in a psychiatric unit. But he had table fills of this, and, and he said that this was used, it's all obsolete, he said, this was used by the CIA in the 50s and the 60s. And by the way, it had to be solid state, a micro-secretary even back then. Whatever they present to the public tech, in a technological way is obsolete technically. They're always in a way advanced of what they tell you they're working on, or this is the latest. And Bigge also went across to uh, the European Parliament, Uh, That was broadcast over there because some of the parliamentarians thought that some of this technology was being used on them when they got up to speak Uh, and he demonstrated some of his equipment to them. They could actually make you nauseous in fact or make you even vomit when you try to start speaking. And, uh, and, or simply make your mind a blank or, or, give you, uh, words that weren't yours until you're talking gibberish. This is very old technology. And, and, uh, it, it, now, of course, they can actually put something in the size of a ring you'd wear on your finger and do it to you at a, at a great distance. Yeah.
1: Wow. I had another, uh, question from a listener that I think we need to ask about. Um, we were talking now about electronic harassment. Uh, my friend Jeff would like to know about uh, physical harassment uh, through vaccine technology and the calcification of the pineal gland. Do you have any thoughts on any of that, sir?
2: Oh, there's no doubt. Uh, biochemistry is way more advanced. Like all, you understand there are three levels of all sciences. From professorship down at university is the lowest level of science. Uh, there's a level above that. Some professors are brought up into the second level. I've selected few. I've had this from some professors, by the way, and I've had visits from them. And they're shown archives, real archives of real information. Uh, remember that most uh, investigations in science are sponsored through your government tax money in combination with private foundations. That's right. We've got and to take a
1: one-minute and ten-second break, Alan. We're going to come right back. We'll have a nice long five minutes. We're talk. going to talk about solutions and answers and what to do about all this. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with the Power Hour. This is Joyce and J.D. Welcome back to the Power Hour radio show, ladies and gentlemen. Straight up top of the hours, our final segment with Mr. Alan Watt. and We've been speaking about mind control today, uh, and coming off of these topics of electronic and physical harassment and technology being used to control all of us, are there any solutions available, Alan? Is there anything we can do to avoid all of this manipulation?
2: Apart from being aware of it, uh, there's not so much you can do if you, if you live in a regular society where you're bombarded with this uh, from all kinds of sources. Uh, cities especially you're bombarded with all these uh, transmitters and cell phone towers and and relays etc etc there's not so much you can actually do as, as far as I know right now uh, many folk have tried to build uh, counters to this where they themselves have their own electronic generators that put off different signals and they, they could be helpful to an extent but at the same time it's not healthy to be bathed in any kind of really high frequency radio signals so um, your best bet really is to have your house. like in, For instance, I don't know if folk know this, but in, in some countries like Holland, uh, the government accept, accepts the fact that people have uh, terrible responses to all the the the, the microwaves etc that are in the air today, and they will come in and they will pay for your house to be screened and and they literally uh, proof your whole house, ceilings, floors, walls, everything. Uh, so, so they can't. The, the different frequencies cannot penetrate your particular home. Uh, so, other countries re- recognise this can make people terribly ill, very, very sick indeed. Uh, Canada does recognise that people can be very sensitive and make them very sick as well. Sleep disruption is a common thing as well. So, you can buy if you have the money, and it's uh, unfortunately it's, it's too expensive right now for most folk. But you can get the copper paints, etc., which are. Very, very good. You can get the, still get the, the aluminum louver blinds to cut uh, these signals from coming through the windows. Things like that. Simple things that you can certainly do. Um, but, uh, some people don't even feel it at all because they, they don't, they're not hypersensitive. They're still being affected fully by it but they're not hypersensitive to these changes. Uh, they don't get sick with them. Others get terribly sick, even with the small ones. But we have over 750,000 new frequencies that don't exist in nature going th- passing through our cells of our body every day uh, in the state, modern day and age. And uh, the technotronic warfare that Brzezinski talked about in the 1970s was already established as being workable. And I've, and I've got some of the talks from the, the guys who worked on it back then, in fact, top scientists who admitted they could actually alter behavior back in the 70s by different frequencies and so on. Um, it's very far advanced, uh, but if you can possibly proof your house uh, or your room or apartment building from it, don't use Wi-Fi at all of any kind. Uh, make sure you're directly plugged in if you're using the Internet at all into your modem, uh, hardwired into it. Uh, and get away from all this wireless stuff because it, it will make you terribly sick but again too, we're being forced into a system this is the key to it not forced so much, we're coerced into it but most folk go into it willingly because if they think of all the benefits they can get from being on the internet personally, I wouldn't, I've wouldn't. said this years ago I wouldn't touch the internet at all unless I wasn't putting information out and that's the only reason I came out in fact was to put this information out in the first place it was time to do it um i hear so much nonsense
1: well i, I think so that's so a really well. important point too the, the idea that we are going to be lulled into this by by complacency and by the fact that they're going to present it to us as uh, convenience and that seems to be the boat that everyone's in alan i want to ask you your, a final question about uh this idea of deprogramming you you know we're all kind of bent on the idea that we can deprogram everybody but what would a world full of deprogrammed people look like what's the best case scenario going forward
2: it would be uh, uh, tricky initially because a deprogrammed people, uh, once again, without... Uh, uh, people don't realize how their culture has been broken and destroyed. Without a common culture, you could have a bit of chaos initially until a common one was established against... In other words, a common one means simple. It's like a tribal system in any country, in any era. You, you, you know what the taboos are, your tribal laws are, and you know what's right and wrong. And then that's how you can go forward and and work together as a people. They would have to get this new culture back again.
1: So fascinating, Alan. I apologize. We are out of time. We've been talking to Alan Watt. Everyone go to the website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com.
0: Okay, so that was the interview. And Weston and I were talking to each other after we had listened to this, independent of one another. And I was telling him that I had learned, and just doing a little bit of research on Stuart Brand. Because to me, he was just such an interesting character. It's obvious he, he has this military training. He went to a private school, Phillips Exeter, which is a, a very you know East Coast establishment school, and then he went to Stanford, studied biology, and There was not a war going on in 1960 that he just joined the military and got his two years of training there and then immediately went from there to San Francisco and participated in a legal, a legitimate study on LSD. And that was it. It, He took off from there. And he's been called the Johnny Appleseed of LSD distribution. Um, He was very, very instrumental in the shaping of the internet as we know it. And he's covered, you get a really good insight into Stuart Brand if you've watched a documentary that Alan has mentioned quite a few times called The Net, The Unabomber, LSD, and the Internet. So as I was doing a little bit of like, you know, what's Stuart Brand up to and who was he really in all of this, I stumbled on a film. That was made about Stuart Brand a couple of years ago. And the title of it was, We Are As Gods. And I thought, well, that's quite a claim. But evidently it's based on a quote that Stuart Brand said about himself. And that was, We are as Gods, so we might as well get good at it. And Weston used that in the Purpose Made People clip that just went up.
3: Total, total control.
0: Yeah. Time. So I was telling Weston this. I said, "What can you imagine this?" And he said, "And so the latest thing that Stewart Brand is pushing is recreating extinct species by you know taking the DNA and basically recreating them." And that's like Jurassic a, Park. Yeah, Jurassic yeah. Park exactly. So anyway, tell everybody what you learned uh, about Stewart this week.
3: So I was. Well, actually, I had read in full for the first time the 2010 Rockefeller Foundation report, Scenarios for the Future of Technology and International Development, because Melissa had read it a couple of weeks ago and had brought to my attention that the hack attack scenario is actually quite similar to what we're living through now, and they even brought up tainted vaccines and so on and now people are losing faith in the medical establishment in that scenario. And so it's not just a lockstep, because everyone talks about the lockstep scenario, because that's the pandemic scenario where we have to go into lockdown, and China you know, is such a great model, and they, they should... They. I realized, and so it's the reason why I read that was because I realized that, well, if those two scenarios all were relevant to the future, what about the other two? They're probably all relevant to the future, and sure enough, you had the scenario Clever Together, which mentions in 2015 there's going to be a climate agreement that all the nations are going to come together and just decide you know, how, how they're going to limit emissions or what exactly they're going to do. And that actually happened in real life. It's called the Paris Climate Agreement. And so that was in twenty fifteen. And remember, this report didn't come out in 2010. And then you had the smart scramble scenario, which talks about how there's going to be, you know, uh, basically isolated pockets of people trying to come up with sort of uh, ad hoc solutions, you know, uh, here and there because nations are starting to... You know, become more protectionist because they don't, you know, they don't want to be, because they, because people hate globalism. Basically, as a push, pushing back against globalism. And so that was that smart scramble scenario, and it talks about how, you know, there's going to be biolabs that do legitimate work, but also, but also on the side, you know, create uh, bioweapons. And this, and there, it talks about how it's going to make it very easy to create bioweapons, and we actually have that in real life. We have the CRISPR technology that you know the mainstream media they, they, they tell us you know it's so easy even a graduate student you know could in biology could you know, use the CRISPR to genetically modify some organism so all the things that basically all the, this this is a very insightful report on the future and one of the external experts of the report is Stuart Brand <laughs> and so I saying, you know um, I, did, I
0: did not look to see who you know they brought in as experts on it I didn't pay that kind of attention to it. I just thought that was an awesome find.
3: Yeah. Wow. And, you know, so you know, I now I, I, the only reason he's the only really expert that I like, it stood out to me because I'd watched that Net Neenobobber and LSD documentary and I realized, yeah, that, that's a, that's, I know that guy, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> when I saw his name and I think um, and then of course you, you brought up he's big into greening and recreating species and he's, uh, Right now, and uh, one of the the big concerns of that, not just that think tank for support, but think tanks in general, including the WEF, if you read their reports, their biggest, their top thing is climate mitigation and adaptation, and what are we going to do about climate change? That's like the big agenda, and. I was- talked about this repeatedly, so you know, I don't need to emphasize it too much, but if you, I mean, just, just go out and read, you know, some of the reports on the future and what they're worried about, the global risks, or, you know, with the, or, like, even the strategic uh, you know, the plans that the military has come out with, the um, the strategic change report. They also talk about climate change and the increasing severity of natural disasters and, and uh, all these other issues, and uh increasing uh pandemics plagues coming out you know all these different things and famines and floods and droughts that are going to happen in the future and so this is uh and of course Stuart brand is uh you know one of these people who's been involved he's he's, he's an expert supposedly even though he's really just been peddling you know as, as far as like his wiki page would have you believe he's just peddling lst and you know and and uh you know hanging out with futurists you know but well
0: if you yeah. mean, if when you really get into him you realize that this character is considered a guru by a lot of the players in silicon valley mm-hmm. and when i was looking into him again this week uh he, one of the things that he was behind was the whole earth catalog and it just looks like this big thick hippie like sears roba catalog for hippies or something But I I saw that it was described as the paper form of Google search, Mm -hmm. Uh, like a Google search engine in paper form. And I I don't know how often they published this, but it really was an amazing kind of compendium of, of everything. Now, the way that when you hear Stuart Brand talk about it, he's all into people having control over the internet for their, like, open source everything, and, you know, Mm -hmm. it's for the people, that kind of, so it all sounds really good, and then, you know, Whole Earth Catalog also had things like, you know, how to raise goats, or, or how to build your own fence, it was, I mean, it was kind of everything for the alternative lifestyle, but again, it's looking at his background. It's looking at the early tests of you know the strobe lighting and LSD and all that he's involved in. And one of the things that they, that Alan just said to JD in this interview that we were just listening to is because JD was talking about Zuckerberg and Alan said, "Yeah, you know he called that you know he called everybody stupid effers." Mm-hmm. So they have total contempt for the people you know, that they're set out for us to worship. But the key thing that Alan said is they are front men. So just as surely as Zuckerberg is a front man for the system, Stuart Brand is a was at that time and still is a front man for the system. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I stumbled on looking at him this week it was a book that was published by um, University of Chicago Press uh, called from counterculture to cyberculture and it was written by Fred Turner in two thousand eight and it talks about the internet, the World Wide Web, when it swung into public view in the mid nineteen nineties and this this whole kind of Wild West frontier idea that it was around that was around it at the time and this group of people that were in Silicon Valley that were promoting it as, you know, it was Technology for the people, and in this talk that Alan just did with JD, they're also talking about Marshall McLuhan, and so I was saying to Weston, let's let's think about him and and talk about him again because the you know that this concept that McLuhan popularized, this medium is the message. So in other words, the the medium in which the content is delivered becomes the message itself is a very it is a profound concept It's one that you can think about a lot because ultimately then the medium and the content contained within that medium shapes us as human beings so whether it's a book that's written with you know on papyrus or with a printing press, or now we have the internet and all of the other technologies that have come between it, we yeah. are actually shaped by it.
3: And I think, for to give a specific example, McLuhan would say, you know, back in the day before the printing press, when you just had a bunch of monks copying manuscripts, that not very many people cared about authorship. Like, who was writing what? It wasn't that big of a deal. Although, I mean, you still had a few famous authors, but... Generally speaking, you would have, like, people, like, a lot of, especially, like, you'll, you'll find, like, pseudo-Aristotle and pseudo-so-and-so, because, you know, people would just, you know, put whoever's name on it, they didn't really, and they didn't really care to keep track of who actually wrote it. Whereas after the printing press, it became more practical to widely distribute, you know, a book that you wrote. And so you, there's this possibility of fame. And so because of that, people started putting their names on their books, and they started to try to develop a reputation and identity through their literary works. And so that's an idea, the concept of like the medium, since the medium changed from, you know, handwritten writing to printing. And so it changed the way, the approach, the way people wrote and, you know, how they thought about their writing. And so that was like a specific example he gave.
0: That's interesting. Also in this book, um, From Counterculture to Cyberculture, that was, I was actually looking for Supporting documentation, whether it was an article or this book, you know, something that that actually mentioned Brand's connection to the strobe light uh, experimentation, and that I found in this book. So I thought, oh, good. But as I was looking, I you know, I just did Control F. I didn't have time to read the whole book, but as I was looking for that, I found that right in there. How important these thinkers, such as McLuhan, were it uh, to the thinking of people like Brand and all of the other um, names the 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 scientist stars that were put out for us to follow who were popularizing these these concepts and bringing people into the internet with such excitement you know don 't you invest in whatever your thing was, whether it 's investing in it or you know creating content for it or do writing the software you know it was a big it was ah, so exciting mm-hmm. and he said in this book, for this wing of the counterculture, the technological and intellectual output of American research culture held enormous appeal, although they rejected the military industrial complex as a whole as well as the political process that brought it into being. Hippies from Manhattan to Haight-Ashbury read Norbert Wiener, Buckminster Fuller, and Marshall McLuhan. Through their writings, young Americans encountered a cybernetic vision of the world, one in which material reality could be imagined as an information system. To a generation that had grown up in a world beset by massive armies and by the threat of nuclear holocaust, the cybernetic notion of the globe as a single interlinked pattern of information was deeply comforting. In the invisible play of information, many thought that they could see the possibility of global harmony. And this this was very interesting because in, in this... Uh, book, and I'm, I've lost it right now at the moment, that they were talking about fragmented, the, the fragmented nature of technology. And
3: specialization.
0: Yes. So, let's talk about some of those articles that we looked at, because one of the listeners sent an article to me uh, yesterday that was on...
3: Pre bunking it's done by. There's a specifically there's a recent study done by Jigsaw, which is a subdivision or offshoot of Google. But they tested three countries: uh, Czech Republic, Poland, and Slovakia. What they, they found was that so they were trying because there's a bunch of Ukrainian refugees going into these countries, yeah. and a lot of the I guess some of the some of the people uh, some reports for circulating in these countries, which. You claim that the Ukrainians were committing crimes, the refugees were committing crimes, and they were stealing jobs from the locals and so on. And so the, the Google people went out, set out to pre-bunk this. Now, how they knew that all this wasn't true, they didn't say. But they knew it wasn't true, and so they pre-bunked it. The concept of pre-bunking is that they're not trying to refute a specific claim or theory of like a specific story. So they're not trying to refute, say, okay, the evidence behind it isn't doesn't support the specific... So that would be fact-checking. Right. What pre-bunking does is provide a, a like short little videos or video games you could play. And there's another thing. I think John Cook of a university in Australia, I forget the name of the university, would, would actually designed one of these games. So that's another way, but generally it's videos or photos. Mm-hmm. And they 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 just promote critical thinking and how to like identify certain biases and like how to be unbiased in your thinking, which to my mind means you know just how to alter people's bias and alter ways people think about things in order so that they won't be susceptible, they won't be open to some of these you know conspiracy theory quote unquote stories, mm-hmm. um, these these uh, these stories which are covering things that aren't covered in the mainstream, right. basically you know if they're not being backed up, you know why should you listen to it and here's all these and they have certain critical thinking skills where they uh basically, you know, work on your mind. They they get you you to start to to think along certain patterns so you won't be open to certain information. That's the whole idea of pre-bunking.
0: That's very interesting. And
3: they're claiming it actually is less labor intensive than fact-checking because you don't have to do all this research you have to look into all these specific incidents and come up with arguments against why the these people are wrong about this issue. So all parts you have to really do. Don't matter. Right. All you have <laughs> to do is, is is just put out information about how to think critically and how to, you know, uh think properly really, you know. Think properly. But they call it think critically. Yeah. How to be critical of this of this misinformation or disinformation that we consider that's coming up. That's and so that they did that, that specific test, and they were excited with the results. They said that it worked very well in Poland, and the Czech Republic, but it, it didn't work that well in Slovakia. But the reason why they thought they 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 suspect I guess they haven't tested this hypothesis yet yet, but they suspect they didn't they just dubbed it in Slovak. They didn't actually like specifically create a video that catered directly to the people of Slovakia, like the culture there. And they were thinking that that might be why they just dubbed over. I guess like a for the Czech version or the Polish version, they just dubbed it in Slovak and used the exact same videos. Interesting. And that might have been why it didn't appeal to them in that particular country. So they, and this is a huge move. And the, the pre-bunking, of course, that's just one case of the study. They're really, uh, it's they've already got uh, different organizations out they are doing it already in the U.S. and many other places. One of them is called the Reboot Foundation. That's actually in France, but they but their website's all in English and mm-hmm. apparently they're targeting the US, mm-hmm. which is interesting. But uh Yeah, so there, that's just one organization. There's a university, like I said, there's a university in Australia. I wish I wish I wish I remembered the name. But but there's a guy named John Cook there that's that has been designing games, designed to pre So I
0: don't know, is there anything else in that talk that we wanted to address? Anything on uh,
3: the electromagnetic sensitivities. Alan talked about how you there's not really much you can do about it except you can maybe paint your home with a copper paint and sort of proof it that way. But that's only if you can afford it, which would know, be very expensive. Or you can move. One of the things yeah. I think what
0: got that conversation going was they were talking about voice to skull. Joyce asked mm-hmm. him about voice to skull technology, which at that time, 2013, 14. Um, that had been introduced as a fun way to deliver advertising straight into your head. And it works by vibrations on the bones in your ear.
3: Well, that's the old-fashioned way of doing it that Alexander Graham Bell Mm -hmm. and his father uh, came up with. Alan said, I have not looked into that, but he, he said also in that talk that they've got even more advanced stuff now. And he's talked about as a tower and or a patent in you know, Finland, mm-hmm. where they could introduce thoughts in your mind through low low frequencies. low microwave frequencies. Mm-hmm. They could actually, like you know, shoot a thought, you know, intercept a thought and then shoot it back to you.
0: And what was interesting to me, just trying to dig into it a little bit with limited time, was how little there was out there. You know, there was the first round of kind of PR
1: mm-hmm.
0: articles about it, and then. You, there was some weird thing that came out in 2008, which was actually before the, the advertising saying, a weird thing happened that the military pulled down their page on their website on voice-to-skull technology. And then as some kind of strange psyop I actually saw that exact same article, same wording, everything about it, but given different dates on different magazines. I saw it on a magazine that was published in 2015 and again in 2018. The same exact wording, the same images that were used. So it's, it's the same thing, you know, like with the microwave technology. I was thinking about harms that can actually be caused with that, um, and 5G. But you're unfortunately left with very little verifiable research you
3: know yeah and there's still only a few countries like holland was one that alan brought up i know switzerland also banned wi-fi in schools at one point but it didn't last long and they brought wi-fi back to the schools. Mm-hmm. so even they are not you know exempt yeah, from I mean, the wi-fi I,
0: I did find some documents that went country by country to show how each country was dealing with it and what you know. There are, there are countries, particularly in Europe, that are saying a school can't b- be built any closer than X amount, you know, distance from a, a tower mm-hmm. or a Wi-Fi transmission to the actual school ground, the playground. But th- there's very little that legitimizes it. And then you get into, I mean, you know, Barry Trower is one that Alan has linked to a time or two, but it's It's fascinating information about microwave technology, but then I saw the latest interview that he was doing with Reiner Fulmick, and you know that after an hour he went into the, his whole background as basically a you know this the spy craft spy trade that working with m i five and so forth, and then you
3: it, just the whole thing reminds me of the same issue that you have with chemtrails, yeah, like there's very little. Information, even though all tons of people have witnessed it and going on, and there's, there's actually very little information about exactly how it works and what's actually happening, mm-hmm. what's actually being sprayed, um, and, and you get these occasional uh, handouts from the government, like the on the like I mentioned on dynamic independence uh, this past week uh the stratospheric aerosol injections that they're doing a test they claim that you know they're doing another test for another five years just to see you know if they could do it and if it would be cheap enough and if it would be effective enough and worth it to you know cool the temperature of the a bit because of you know global warming uh you know this is this, this little uh study and that that's all they're doing right you know, with the spring. And it's the you know, same thing you're seeing with electromagnetic radiation. You get little reports about like, for example, Green Bank, West Virginia, and people moving there because of their electromagnetic radiation sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Cause it's known as a quiet zone. Uh, not, it's, at least it was, I mm-hmm. think now, I think recently they've built, or not too long ago, they built a cell tower. So it's not anymore, but it used to be a quiet zone where there's no radio waves or anything going through it or mm-hmm. no radio towers or anything like that. Cell phone towers. And you know, people would move there as a safe haven because they just felt better. And you know, they could function actually, whereas you know, before they'd have to live. I think one woman said she she actually had her husband build a, a Faraday cage, which she called, where they, I guess they're surrounded by foil or something that you know, keeps out the waves. And so, uh, and, this is like a taboo. The mainstream is never going to admit.
0: No, they're not. And and they, but, you know, we, we have to go, in this instance, we have to go on anecdotal evidence is the only thing. It's like, okay, I know that I'm not particularly sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. I can, I, uh, you know, I mean, who knows, maybe my brain would function better if I wasn't bathed in Wi-Fi. But, you know, there you go. I, that's not my, I, I don't have that luxury to protect myself from it. But I do know people who feel very ill when they're around it. The recording just failed on us, so we're going to start again here and try to pick up maybe where we left off.
3: So the whole idea of EMF radiation, there's actually very few official science on uh, on even the negative effects on it. Never mind actual use for mind control purposes. Uh, We only get maybe a few studies and... Uh, we have uh, Barry Trower. We we don't really have much official science on it, so we are left, and it really reminded me uh, of the situation with chemtrails. So we really are left with just our own observations and the conspiracy sites, which, you know, I think there is some good information on the conspiracy sites, but they generally will veer off into, uh, for example, in the case of geoengineering, uh, greening, or in the case of EMF radiation, maybe into uh, different alternative health ideas, which may or may not be true. And so you're you're getting, um, and this also ties in with pre-bunking as well, because once you get into, okay, if it's not on any official websites, it's not on any official scientific journals, then you know is that information trustworthy? So anyone talking about the chemtrails, anyone talking about the negative effects, does the EMF radiation sicknesses they are going to be corralled onto on these alternative websites. Or they're going to, you know, we can find information on it. You know, Alan's linked to it before on, on computermatrix.com. It's this old school HTML website that, uh, you know, none of the mainstream sites would ever be caught dead linking to. And, of course, so, you know, if you, you've been pre bunked you're definitely not going to have, be open to even listening to, hearing out someone who's complaining about this issue.
0: The other thing, too, that kind of ties in with that uh, is that the perception of people who are looking for true information or real facts, fact-based information and not what we're given, it's like with allopathic medicine. We know that it causes a lot of harm. That doesn't mean that it's all bad and, and there will be much of it that can be very useful. Well, nowadays after <laughs> you know the, the murder agenda is out, but you know, allopathic medicine is not all bad but when they give you the antithesis then any kind of quackery can be put into that world so just because it's against allopathic and saying let's depend on your body's immune system let's beef it up with supplements and good nutrition it, and you find the same kinds of you know just quackery ideas there that you the do fa-
3: fantastic is also woven into the um the chemtrail idea as well. And you really don't know, okay, is the heart being used to control our minds? Mm-hmm. And Alan certainly went into that it could be used as a weapon. And it's interesting as well because the WEF actually mentioned they were worried about the stratospheric aerosol injection being weaponized. That was one of the things that was one of the risks they said in their risk report. But, you know, is, is it, has it in fact already been done? And is it already being used regularly? You know, and that's, so a lot of people start speculating about that. I'm not sure how on earth would you tell i mean i know you can turn on the radio and hear that uh pecking mm-hmm. sound if you turn to the right frequencies and know that the harp's been going on but what exactly is it being used for it, or like there's multiple uses there's, there's all kinds of different uses they could be using it for and so once you get you can get into speculation about that and again, you go into the realm of the the fantastic is very easy and uh you know um it becomes very very speculative
0: and I think that was a point that I made that might have gotten cut off earlier too, was that Alan was always really careful to use the material that was put out. And yes, you're aware that it's got to spin. This is what the mainstream wants you to think about it. But he was always telling us to read between the lines and think for ourselves. If you spend too much time on the rabbit holes looking at sources that can't be verified in any way, shape, or form by any peer-reviewed body, Um, even if it's just you and your pals that have a scientific education who read something and go, yeah, that makes sense to me. But when you're looking to something that cannot be verified, then you open yourself up to be (laughs) Mm pre-bunked in typical, modest, Alan Style, when J.D. Moore said, you know, one of the caller, one of the callers who are emailers in, wanted to know what of Alan's work, his discs or his books, would he recommend so that people could get an overview of mind control techniques and um, social engineering. So, social engineering, and you know, he didn't talk about his books at all. He said, I would recommend that you read the books by the behaviorists themselves. And so since they were talking about Skinner, I I just looked up the, the book that Skinner was most well known for, and it was called Beyond Freedom and Dignity. Just the way that Wiki described this book is a very good way of looking at how the experts, the scientists are presented, that we follow them to our detriment. It says Skinner argues That entrenched belief in free will and the moral autonomy of the individual, which Skinner referred to as dignity, so that's your autonomy, that's dignity, hinders the prospect of using scientific methods to modify behavior for the purpose of building a happier and better organized society. So that's it in a nutshell, what Alan showed us countless times is that your freedom and your dignity do not matter in this world of you know scientific socialism. What matters is their idea of a happy and better organized society is one that is using scientific methods.
3: You don't need to hear that from Alan Watt. You can just get it straight from the behaviorists. That's right. And that's probably the reason why he brought that up in the the talk, the reason why he said, you know, you don't don't have to read my stuff. You just just read their books, and they'll tell you. They're they're using scientific methods to to alter you.
0: Which is is Alan's very clever way of saying in half a second what we just spent ten minutes saying, which is, you know, see, Alan would know if you just go around saying, well, Alan Watt said, (laughs) in Alan Watt's book, you know, and and Alan always went to the source, to the dusty old books, to the the men who and women who planned and implemented this agenda, and said, "Let's take it straight from the horse's mouth."
3: And even though they didn't always state things straightforwardly, like, "Yes, everyone's going to be," we have a completely totalitarian, controlled, scientifically controlled society. They may not have stated some things so straightforwardly. But they always if you read between the lines there there's always, like you, the implications of what they were saying were basically you couldn 't have freedom and dignity or you couldn't or there couldn't have the, you know a population of eight billion people there was just wasn 't going to be because you know wouldn 't be sustainable or whatever like if you read between the lines, you can tell okay they're going to be before the population and all sorts of other draconian measures even if they weren't quite blunt about it.
0: I think that we'll leave you with a couple of clips of music. Um, JD and Alan were speaking about music that was used in churches, the Gregorian chant, which is kind of a monotonal music. And the, the music of Palestrina, who introduced incredible harmonies, but not just harmonies. Sometimes you'd have maybe four choirs presenting a piece of music in a in a cathedral. So you would literally have surround sound. And it, it kind of reminded me the way, you know, of course, Alan often cited Plato as saying that music was so powerful it needed to be controlled, it needed to be licensed. But we're always given these, just like with any other scientific development or technique, it's, oh, it's new, it's brand new, we just discovered this. So we've got... um Bob Dylan plugging in his guitar, and wow, you know, and or you've got uh, Phil Spector doing the his wall of sound technique, and you're you're always given these new things. Stereophonic, I mean, wow, stereo—that was just an amazing thing at the time. So we'll leave you with the Gregorian chant, followed by a bit of Palestrina. The...